0: I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team better. Except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify.
1: It's One Shining Podcast presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit the Ringer.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 or older in present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash
0: RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers.
1: On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, I am still hanging in there. Um, I am doing my best. I appreciate everyone reaching out and checking on my health. I officially have strep throat, Uh, if you can't tell by my voice being uh, a little bit off right now. But look, it's the Final Four. It's coming up this weekend. So we have no time for caution. Uh, We have to go ahead and make things happen. So that's what we're going to do today. This is a jam-packed Final Four preview. And we got a good one for you, folks. We got... Coach Jim Laranega Who was going to a second Final Four As a as a head coach Obviously the Hurricanes head coach this year He is a, uh, you know, a lot of people Were calling him the grandpa of college basketball I call him just a legend You know what I mean? He, he is one of the best So he came on and joined us And talked to me about the matchup with UConn And what he expects in Houston Playing in a dome, all those types of things So that's going to be fun And then of course we have Kyle Mann Who has been uh, right by our side this entire ride Breaking down all the games. We're going to break down and preview what we expect to see in the final four. So really excited about that. Um, one housekeeping note before we get into the show. I just wanted to say for people due to my sickness. Um, look, it's it's Wednesday. It's March 29th. We're getting close. Uh, the, the goal was to get to Houston. The goal was to to be there myself, producer Kyle, boots on the ground, having a great time, going to the games, you know, all, all the Final Four festivities that you could imagine. But um, due to due to my health and due to the fact that I am far from a hundred percent, I uh, I think we're gonna pivot um, and lean into the idea of being LA guys. You know, is is that right, Kyle? Is that what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna stay in LA and hope to God that I get healthy. Is that the plan? all I want to
0: say is this is not my fault, and don't listen to my uncle; he doesn't know what he's talking about. I yeah. did not get Tate's. Sick, but yeah, we are going to stay home and and maybe we'll watch the title game from somewhere uh, that we could tell you if Tate is allowed to be around people again.
1: Yeah, my goal is by Monday for the national championship game. I am not contagious, and I can I can hang out and have fun. We, we some of my friends in Venice are trying to put together a little watch party for us, so we're, we're we're working out the details right now. But I just wanted to flag that for the friends of the program. I do not plan to be in Houston anymore. Um, It's just not going to work out. Unfortunately, uh, the Spotify security guards uh, have given me strep throat. Uh, It was not Kyle, uh, despite what what Bill has put out to the world. I do not blame you, Kyle. It's not your fault. Um, I don't know who gave this to me, um, but they are my worst enemy. Once I figure out who it is, (laughs) uh, I I have to treat them as as a true foe of the program moving forward forever. (laughs) That's just what it is. Um, But appreciate all the patience of the friends of the program. I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited to talk about the final four. We're going to be doing a reaction show on Saturday after the games, myself and Kyle Mann. The same routine we've been doing throughout the tournament, so get excited for that. Um, anything else, Kyle, before we get into this? I'm excited to talk to Coach Laranega. I got nothing, but first, Woody Durham. He takes the time out. All right, now joining us on One Shining Podcast, one of the best coaches in the country who just catapulted the Miami Hurricanes to their first Final Four in program history, Coach Jim Laranega. Coach, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, my pleasure. Well, uh, first and foremost, congrats on making history at Miami. As I said, first Final Four in program history. Um, I have to ask because... You know, this is a surreal thing. It happens in college sports. But what was the feeling like on Sunday? I mean, when when it finally hit you that you were taking this group to the Final Four?
2: I was just so happy for my players because they have worked so hard for this. They started last summer. They bonded. Great chemistry on the team. Great relationships on and off the court. And they, they also had a goal. We we took the team to the Elite Eight last year and and the returning players said, we got to go at least one step forward. But really, the goal is to be the team that cuts down the net and listens to one shining moment on Monday night. I I feel that, coach. And,
1: uh, you know, you can kind of tell with the camaraderie of these guys. I, I thought one of the moments that signified that was one time all four guys had their arms around each other like they were, you know, guys on a soccer field watching PKs, right? You know, you had all four guys doing that. So that said to me that there's a chemistry there. Um, This is your second Final Four as a head coach, your fourth Final Four in total, obviously an assistant back with Coach Holland uh, with with the Virginia teams back in the day. Is there anything, you're the most experienced coach in the Final Four, is there anything that you kind of have in your back pocket that you know about the Final Four experience that you can lean on a little bit or is it different
2: every single time well it's obviously different because you're playing in a different uh, stadium but you know the one thing is uh, I share with my players today you got to get used to the dome
0: because there's
2: 8,000 people there it almost appears like you're outdoors and uh, in order to shoot the ball well you got to be comfortable and confident so we're going to get we're going to leave tomorrow get to Houston on Wednesday, practice Thursday and Friday and be ready to go on Saturday.
1: And you mentioned the dome. One of the things that I have noticed uh you know from going to the Final Fours over the past few years that's interesting about a dome is communication, right? Especially for like assistant coaches and you know switches and things like that. It's really hard for players to hear uh in those 80,000 seat domes. Is that a, is that something that you're you're kind of keeping an eye on and, and trying to figure out too as you get ready for that environment? Well, you're exactly right,
2: because in 06, the players couldn't even hear my whistle. And that was <laughs> right. first. So I told my coaches that. I told the players that today. And, you know, we have to make some adjustments. But what's great about our team, we have such great leadership. Uh, when we call a timeout, I meet with my coaches first. And then I I sit in a, on a, in a stool with my five players who are in the game right in front of me. Mm. and uh, against Texas and several times during the season, I'd turn around after meeting with my assistants, turn around, there'd be North Shadow Mir talking to the five guys that are in the game. So our communication within our players is very good and it's going to need to be at its best on Saturday night. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of that
1: 06 run, Ironically enough, uh, you know, your team played the tournament favorites in the Elite Eight, right? A lot of people thought that the UConn Huskies, coached by Jim Calhoun that year, they were the team of destiny, so to speak. They were on their way to a national championship. I think they were the number one overall seed. Everyone talked about the size of UConn, right? You guys had a team of you know six five, six six, six seven guys that were playing in the front court. And, you know, there is some symmetry there, uh, you know, talking about UConn going into this weekend. Is there is there anything that you can lean on from from that experience? Um, and do you see the connective tissue between 06 with that Elite Eight team playing UConn? You guys won in overtime, one of the one of the best games in March Madness history uh, for people that haven't gone back and checked that out. But do you see the symmetry between, you know, your team this year and and what you faced back in 06?
2: Well, certainly, there's a lot of similarities. You know, our size at, at uh, George Mason was our tallest starter was six seven, right? Uh, whereas UConn was six nine, six ten, six eleven. Yet the game is not necessarily about height; it's mm. really about skill. And that George Mason team had a ton of skill, and so does my Miami team this year. Now. Uh, Danny Hurley and his staff have done a great job of preparing his players. They're winning not only by double figures, but they've basically been dominating their opponent throughout the tournament. So my staff and I are trying to prepare our players for what we have to do against them to give ourselves the best chance possible. I tell the players all the time, it's not about who we play or where we play. It's about how we play. If we can execute our game plan better than the opponent, that's what will work. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's obviously the similarities. Uh, but, you know, the team in 06, right? I mean, George Mason, an 11 seed, kind of viewed as a Cinderella and underdog. I, I don't think that this Miami team and this group, like you said, they had an expectation to make the Final Four and, and do something bigger than they did even last year, making the Elite Eight. So what is the mentality of this group? If it's not the underdogs, what, what do you guys kind of view yourself as? And, and what does that confidence come from?
2: Well, I, you know, the underdog term, I think, you know, might be applied to a George Mason. But quite frankly, we were a really good team and had a great regular season.
1: I, I Trust me, Coach, I remember as a Carolina fan, you guys roughed us up in the second round.
2: <laughs> but this team, we, we're we uh, co-champions of the ACC with Virginia. We've had a great year. People follow the ACC, know how good we are. It's, it's really a matter of 68 teams make the dance. And we can see by who's made the final four, all four of us are really good. The Mm -hmm. matchups, it's not the conventional final four with all the blue buds, but it'll be a very entertaining uh, final four because of style of play.
1: Absolutely. And uh, one guy I wanted to bring up because of his style of play and his versatility really is Jordan Miller. Jordan Miller against Texas plays a literal perfect game. I saw Christian Leitner was tweeting at him congratulating him on on, uh, going perfect from the field, perfect from the free throw line. One of the few guys that has ever done that in NCAA tournament history. Can you just speak to Jordan Miller's uh, just growth as a player and and how much you can lean on him as someone that can be so versatile, especially defensively um, and what he's been
2: able to bring to this team this year? Yeah, Jordan Miller' is a great college player and he's going to yes, play sir. as a professional for a long time. He does everything well. He's had to guard guards who are you know six two. he's had to guard big guys that are seven foot. At the offensive end, he does everything. He can shoot the threes. He's a great free throw shooter. He's great at driving to the basket. He's a terrific rebounder at both ends of the court. And most importantly, he's a great teammate. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of leadership skills. He's very articulate. And, And his teammates love him and the coaches love him. So, you know, he's a very confident young man. And I'm sure he's excited and looking forward to Saturday.
1: Yeah, I appreciated him in the Texas game. There were a couple of times in the first half where he kind of got everyone together in the huddle and he was doing the calm down. Right. He was like, guys, let's take a beat here. Let's take a breath. We're going to be OK. This game's not over. And obviously, as we all saw, it was far, far from over. Um I did want to ask you about Isaiah Wong had a, uh, had a quote uh, this week where I thought was pretty interesting. He said that he appreciated the ACC for getting this team battle-tested. Can you expand on that mentality? And, you know, what, what were some of those moments this year in the conference that, you know, kind of got this team prepared for this run in March?
2: Well, quite simply, there are a lot of great coaches in the ACC and a lot of great players. And uh, we play against all different kinds of styles. Like you go to Syracuse, you got to face the 2-3 zone. You played Virginia, you got to face the packline line defense. You played NC State, you, you're talking about pressure. You you go to uh, play against North Carolina, you're talking about the incredible talent that they have. So, I think what Isaiah was referring to is every night in the ACC, it's a dogfight.
1: Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm.
2: ACC, to me, is the best basketball league in the country. And uh, when when uh, We're playing against our ACC opponents. We know we have to be at our best if we hope to succeed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as a fellow ACC guy, I could not agree more. And, uh, you know, I appreciate Miami going and representing the conference at the highest level and making a Final Four and, you know, getting everything done for us. One thing I wanted to ask you about, which I think is kind of your signature trade, in my opinion, just from a distance, Um, And every coach has their signature trait, but one of yours is the ability to take timely timeouts, right? When a team is making a run, um, you know, when your team needs to kind of get galvanized and get together, you know, is that a skill? Is that a feeling? You know, what is that to be able to kind of get a game kind of back in control, back, get the reins back right with a timeout?
2: Yeah, I've told my players and the coaches the most difficult job I think a head coach has is figuring out when to utilize your timeouts and when to substitute and who should substitute. You know, it's just really challenging. You know, the other day against Texas, we played a lineup that never even practiced one possession together. Bensley, Joseph, Nigel, Pack, Isaiah, Wong, uh, Wooka Poplar, and Jordan Miller at the five. Now we never practiced that way, but we wanted to start switching ball screens. And North Shadow Mir was in, in a little bit of foul trouble. So we just decided we'll go small and try to match up with them so they don't end up getting all these threes. And it worked. You know, the guys did a great job on the court. Yeah. And Jordan
1: Miller uh, speaks to his versatility, right? To be able to step down, slide down to the five, switch on the guards. And uh, it it was an incredible act on his behalf. And, uh, you know, there's been some moments in the tournament where you guys you've made specifically some great coaching decisions, whether it be pressing right, Um, you know, against Drake uh, with about three minutes to go in that game. How much of that stuff do you practice situationally to get prepared for a tournament? Or does it all kind of just come together, uh, you know, after like a, a culmination of all the things that you've worked on throughout the season?
2: Well, the answer to that is simply, you know, when we start practicing, we we try to implement a style of play that will work against everybody. Mm. You know, we, we play predominantly man-to-man defense, but there's also some nuances within the man-to-man we also practice trapping at the half court level and at the full court level. So we can implement any of those ideas uh, either in practice or in a game, you know, just just by signaling it. And our players have been very good, They're very smart basketball players. They can adapt to every situation.
1: Yeah, I appreciated uh, Kansas State coach Jerome Tang. He was talking about his team, and he said, you got to have dudes, right? He was like, that's what it comes down to. And when I look at this Miami group, you know, even like Poplar, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys where you're like, that that guy just, he knows how to play the game the right way. But one of those players that signifies and is sort of the face of this team, in my opinion, is Norchad O'Meara. Can you just speak to uh, the ability for him? First off, you know, he had the ankle injury coming in the tournament. There was some uncertainty. He worked his way back to be able to play. The last game against Texas has foul trouble, but then comes back late in the game, um, draws a big foul late, gets a big steal late. How much is he the heart of
2: this group? Yeah, Norse Shadowmere is amazing, and it starts with his personality. Uh, He he has more energy than most five people. Bubbles with energy. And uh, because of that, his smile, his energy, and his relationship with his teammates, they all they all love him. They all play with him. The only problem is they rely on him so much for rebounding that, that uh, they don't rebound as well as they should. <laughs> but uh, Norshad has a lot of leadership skills in him. He's just a tremendous young man. He loves to rebound. He's terrific. At guarding much bigger guys. He's only six, seven, but he's guarded guys that are seven feet, seven, one. And I guess this this weekend, guy like Klingon, he's seven, two. Mm. So we got our hands filled, but I I know Norshad's up for the challenge.
1: Yeah. His energy is very infectious. Like even if you just watch him on TV, I mean, I watched him all throughout the year in the ACC. I mean, he just seems like a, a very lovable, likable guy. Um, all right, coach, last question. And I'll let you get out of here. Cause I know you got to get prepped. You got to get ready for the travel to Houston. Um, this is not about the final four. It's just a fun story that I saw that was getting put out there. I saw Fran Fashilla put this story out, but the story was that Bob Cousy back in the day when he was the head coach of Boston college, um, he did not recruit you, and uh, you responded. You went to Providence, of course, and you responded playing against Boston College. Had thirty six points against him. Um, you, you've had an amazing basketball run. You know, played at the same high school, obviously Archbishop Malloy. How much of that era of you as a player helped build the competitive spirit that you ha- that you have today as a coach? And that story in general with you and uh, Bob Cousy? I thought that was fascinating.
2: Well, first of all, I went to Archbishop Malloy. My mind is the best. Uh, High school basketball in New York City, especially at that time, a lot of competition, but Malloy was the best. And the reason is the coach. Jack Curran was the basketball coach there for over 50 years, winningest coach in the state of New York's history, also a great baseball coach. And he basically prepared you for playing in college. And when I was a a senior, he knew I wanted to go to Boston College, so he called Bob Cousy to come down and evaluate me. And Kuzi, came to the the game. I had a very subpar game. I, I only was not in double figures one time, and it was that night, not yeah. because of Kuzi, but because of the opponent. And um afterwards I met with Coach Kuzi and uh he said to me, Hey, I, I don't, you know, we're not gonna recruit you for Boston College. I think you're a division two player. Wow. Well, of course, a- any competitor would take offense to that. And Coach Kuzi's had a guy in mind that, that, uh, he was, you know, recruiting hard and gonna, gonna sign. So when I signed with Providence, I, I always earmarked the Boston college game <laughs> in my freshman year. I actually had 39 in my sophomore year. I had 28. Oh, man. So my, my college career, uh, I enjoyed it very much at Providence. I uh, got drafted by the uh, Detroit Pistons. But the thing I enjoy the most is uh, coaching. I, I always wanted uh, uh, to uh, do what my high school coach, Jack Curran, did. And I've been able to do that. And he inspired me. And I appreciate everything he he did for me. Mm. Well,
1: there you have it. He's Coach Jim Larinaga, a surefire Hall of Famer in my book. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Coach. And uh, good luck in Houston. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. And now joining us, he is the man who has continued to drive this show while I have struggled with my health over the past week. And, uh, you know, it's been great conversations. I don't even remember what I've been talking about, but um, I know he's excited because all the Kentucky guys showed out at the McDonald's All-American game last night. So we'll get into that maybe at the end of this. But first and foremost, we're going to do a Final Four preview with our guy, Kyle Mann. Kyle Mann. Uh, how fired up are you about uh, everything that's going to happen this weekend? Or are you buying and drinking the Kool Aid that this is a lame Final Four, nobody's going to watch? Da 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 da. Or are you buying that right now?
0: Well, I can't control whether or not people watch. I can I can sort <laughs> of try to take the temperature of um of the interest level. I mean, I've I've kind of been thinking about. If I were, you know, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, I would just kind of be like, I'm sure they they have some kind of a chippy attitude about this. I'm sure because people are like, well, there's no, there's definitely, you know, there's fewer big names in the final four. Kevin and I were talking about on the Ringer NBA draft show that, you know, there aren't any projected lottery picks in this, in this group. Um, but these are these are matchups that could be, be pretty fun. One, one of which is kind of like a clash of styles. And then the, the more high major matchup between UConn and Miami, I think is, is interesting for different reasons. But um, yeah, I, I actually feel like, you know, it may not go down on paper as like the biggest primetime event. But I do think that both of these games could end up being pretty entertaining at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are jumping the gun. They they are upset that the Blue Bloods aren't here. But look, we're two guys that are Blue Blood guys. And uh, we watched <laughs> yeah, we <are. laughs> a full Blue Blood Final Four last year. So if anything, it's fine to give the stage to somebody else. And, you know, look, this is my favorite set so far. For the first time since 1970, the Final Four will have three first-time participants. And then, of course, the fourth is UConn, who is looking for their, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even believe this, their fifth championship since 1999. And, uh, you know, if, if they do that, if UConn was to go on and win their fifth championship, and then, you know, if you look at all the, the little, you know, you read the tea leaves, right, all the connective tissue between this tournament, it seems like everything points to UConn winning this tournament. If they do that, we're talking about, UConn being in Indiana territory, maybe in Blue Blood territory. um, And we can get into all like the bigger picture narrative stuff with that. But I wanted to ask you, is this UConn's tournament to lose? Because I've seen a lot of people saying because this tournament has been so crazy, right, that you can talk yourself into anybody could win it. But I think if you really strip it down, you you know, you go bare bones. They won every game by an average of 22 and a half points right now. They've dominated so far, and all the stars are aligned for UConn to win the national championship. Am I crazy to say that? I, I think they're the undisputed favorite right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, on paper, I, I have been kind of wobbling back and forth about this, Tate, to be honest with you, because last night we made our predictions. Uh, I, I hadn't really thought about it other than in the moment, um, like what what my prediction was going to be. Um, which, you know, maybe poor prep on my part, but I, the more I've thought about it and the more I've kind of dug in and, and looked at this matchup, I'm not so sure that, you know, I, I was for sure, like I picked Yukon and then I was like, they'll, and then they'll just run, you know, they'll run it out. They'll, they'll blow out whoever they play in the championship game. This Miami matchup, man, I'm not, I'm not so sure that like, they're going to just bowl them over because Miami does some things well. That UConn is vulnerable to. I think some of the matchups could be interesting on an individual basis. Um, and we've seen Miami play against some of these teams that defend really well and impose their will on the glass. We've seen their team speed kind of like daunt people. Um, but you're right. I mean, UConn's been like basically uh, like secretariat in the in the race to 69 to steal one from you, and it's like they <laughs> they've only they haven't yet to give up more than 65 points in a single game during this tournament. Um, I think you can get overwhelmed by how well they've played together. You know, Gonzaga hasn't really played great defense all season. UConn obviously just kind of took them to town. And then once, once Timmy was vulnerable and once Timmy picked up that foul, that, it was that dumb like discard foul. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, unfortunately that was game. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of talking myself into Miami. I don't know. Do, do you, so you feel like you're pretty firm on UConn. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami does this, man, because they they keep getting in these situations where there's like, well, I don't know. And then they just they keep doing it. There's kind of a you know, we talk about the magic of Yukon. It feels like there's something magic going on with Miami, too, man.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm on antibiotics right now, so I'm a little bit loopy. So I'm sitting around the house. I'm watching Sports Center. I'm arguing with myself in my own head. And, uh, you know, I'm doing the Lee Corso not so fast. And the reason why I do it not so fast on so my own thought about UConn being the, you know, the, the prohibitive favorite is because UConn, when they play close games, Kyle, man, they don't fare well. And they seem to get really tight when they get in close games. And right now, they have been dominating the tournament, as I said. And I am worried that if they get into a tight game with Miami, then Miami has all the experience. They're battle tested. They like playing in close games. They've been down by, as we saw against Texas, 13 points in the second half. As we saw against Drake, they were down by four points with three minutes to play, right? And then they go in a 10-0 run and win the game. So, Miami has been there. They've been in situations where, you know, things haven't gone their way and they, they fight out of the hole and, and they climb out and, you know, it, it's, you know, the, they rise and they rise to the occasion. I am very worried that if UConn gets in a tight game, if they get tight. And then we all are saying, oh my God, how do we not see this? How do we not see this coming? Because that is the one Achilles heel of this UConn group is that they haven't been pressed so far in the tournament and maybe they just keep dominating, right? They're six and zero in Texas, um, you know, all time in the tournament. So they like playing in Texas. Obviously the tournament is going to be in Houston, Texas. So uh, that bears well for UConn, um, you know, but they only have one tournament, Yeah. Yeah. Historically. Um, and, you know, but, but as a, as a group, as this group, I wonder if they get a little tight, if they falter a little bit, if they get in a close game. that That is my only concern when it comes to UConn, that if Miami pushes them to the brink, Gets them um, thinking about it a little bit that they that they may be and maybe their coach, too. Right. I, I talked about Dan Hurley. He's my biggest concern when it comes to UConn.
0: But if they get in a close game. You really game, think he stinks as a coach, Tate? I, I feel like I you haven't been taken to task about that enough. Has nah. you, have the UConn community come at you at all for I mean, you've just blatantly said it a few times. I feel like
1: it's not about Dan Hurley. The coach really is more as Dan Hurley's like reactions on the sideline and, and the fact that he can oh, right, flip right, a game. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, I've seen this guy call 15 officials a clown, you know, and I've seen those officials then take it out on him because of that. And rightfully so. Right. And he said he took that. He took the clown line out of his uh, vocabulary. But at the end of the day, I feel like if things get tense and tight, maybe he breaks a little bit, too. And shout out to our guys at CB Analytics, CBB Analytics, because they did, um, you know, out of all the four-man lineup combos, Um, UConn and Miami take the top six spots in plus-minus, right? So I I thought this was pretty fascinating. And it shows how good of a game this could be. And I think this is going to be one of those games where it's coaching, right? It's it's trying to find mismatches. It's trying to find matchups. Um, And, you know, Coach Laranega, who you just heard, was talking about how Jordan Miller had to play at the five. And he put a he put a five man group out there against Texas that had never played a minute together all season long, right? And they thrived. <laughs> so Miami and yeah. UConn, I think this is going to be a chess match, to say the least.
0: Yeah, the, they just have a lot of players with like high basketball, like you. Not that UConn doesn't; they do too. They have plenty of those guys. But they, you know, putting Miller at the five, I think was was an interesting experiment that obviously obviously worked well for them, but they do it in different ways. I've kind of talked a lot about how UConn uses their off screen execution to sort of like distract and open up some of the other things that they do. Well, you have to pay, you have to really, really stay attached to Jordan Hawkins, no matter where he is, whether he's shooting the ball or not. And that spreads the floor. Um, I just kind of wonder though, I don't think that they have faced physical on ball creators quite like Miami in this tournament. You know, Arkansas has some perimeter talent on ball, but you know, Anthony Black, not not necessarily a shooter, so he's not stretching you uphill. Nick Smith was really inconsistent. We've seen Ricky Council and Devo Davis. They were really up and down. This is a different animal. Nigel Pack is like an excellent pull-up three-point shooter in the pick-and-roll. He will burn you. He can hit threes. Doesn't care where he is. We've seen him. He does not give a shit. If he catches it from 28 feet, he'll pull. But I think The team speed from one to five, I think, is going to be the interesting thing for me because Miami doesn't have a player over six, nine in their rotation, but they just destroy people with speed. You know, we saw them go up against Texas. They did the same kind of thing. They just wear you down, wear you down. They're fearless. Um, And another thing that's really interesting to me is that, uh, you know, they really pummel people. Uh, when their their speed to the glass, I think is going to be the interesting dynamic to watch between them and UConn. UConn obviously has some size, but their speed to the glass is going to be important because they are very efficient when they follow up their misses. It's uh, I think there's they're the most efficient team remaining in the tournament, and UConn is vulnerable to that. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a key thing to watch.
1: Yeah, and I like the the four horsemen is what I'm calling them for Miami: Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, Norchad Omir. I think those four guys might be the best four in the country. And I love when you when you look at those four and then you look at their matchups, right? Nigel Pack, Tristan Newton, that's going to be a fun matchup. Jordan Hawkins, Isaiah Wong, that's going to be a fun matchup, right? And then this is the, the one that you and I were, we were texting about this, Andre Jackson versus Jordan Miller. Um, and then obviously we've got Sonogo and Omir. And Omir is 6'7". Sunogo's, you know, 6'9", 6'10". So the size there will be a conversation point. But Jordan Miller and Andre Jackson, I think that might be the the matchup to watch in this game, um, especially if you're an NBA fan. But if you're just a fan of basketball in general, those two guys, I think, could be the difference in this game.
0: Yeah, I w- I've almost thought about it to the point where I'm like, I feel like Wong's going to be a tough cover for Hawkins to the point where I was like, I wonder if they try. Uh, Jackson on Wong a little bit to put a little athleticism and length and speed on him Um, that could be interesting but uh, you really nailed it with the lineup thing I just I I feel like it's easy to get distracted by the runs that UConn goes on and it doesn't mean that they're they're insignificant or they don't mean anything but they just they really pile up these runs Um, you know you talked about offensive rating the Newton Hawkins, Jackson, Caraban, sinogo lineup has an offensive rating of 134, which is astronomical. But there are times when the, th- the most like incredible, like daunting thing that they've been thrown out there that demoralizes teams is they'll slide in uh, a lean there. They'll slide him into that spot and bring Caraban out and throw a three guard look where they will be like a lean Newton Hawkins. Um. That'll be an interesting matchup for them. I don't know, like, defensively, if they're forced to do that against Miami more. It'll be interesting to see if Caravan can stay on the floor in that look. But UConn's bigs also run. That's the counter. Like, their their bigs do run pretty well. So, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past Sonogo to – that that's the thing I'm probably most interested to watch. I'm most interested to watch O'Meara and, and Sunogo, their their speed and activity on the glass. I think it's going to Ye- be really fun to watch. Yeah,
1: and I uh, I was asking Coach Laronega about this because it kind of reminds me of George Mason. You know, not you know, obviously Laronega is the only coach that has Final Four experience as a head coach in the Final Four this year, but. Fascinating enough, I mean, in 06, they play UConn, who was the prohibitive favorite. Everyone thought that UConn was going to go win the national championship in 2006. They were number one team in the country for the majority of the season. They get to the Elite Eight. They're playing an 11 seed in George Mason. It was a foregone conclusion they were going to win this game. They had size. They had been dominating everyone on their path so far. And then all of a sudden, they played George Mason, a very scrappy group. And this team just Push them to the brink. And even though they didn't have the size, it was an electric game. It ends up going to overtime. George Mason wins in overtime. You know, we, we know the rest. That George Mason goes to the Final Four, da But I think that this game might have the same sort of complex where the size of UConn obviously will stand out with Klingon and Sunogo. But I think that Miami's, you know, they're going to get to loose balls. Their quickness might be the difference. And if we get to a situation where, like I said, it's a tight game, Miami is the team that is more prepared for that kind of moment, in my opinion, than UConn. The biggest adversity that UConn has faced in the tournament is that they got kicked out of the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas because it was dirty, and uh, apparently Donovan Klingon's laptop got stolen while they were they, they were like going through practices. So those are the two you know adverse situations that they've had to deal with, Wait. and they had yeah.
0: Wait, they got yeah. kicked out. Wait, they got kicked out because it was dirty, or they were dirty? What do you no. mean? I mean, and also, have you seen the Luxor Hotel? Are you surprised by that? Why would I, you I, choose to stay there?
1: <laughs> why would the NCAA put them in the Luxor? It makes no sense. Uh, I think they ended up going yeah. to Resort World. So, shout out, shout out to them for uh, the upgrade. But apparently, while they were practicing, they got robbed. Um, and Klingon's laptop and iPad got stolen. So, like, like I was saying, the only adversity that UConn has faced so far in this tournament has been off the court, right? So, like, th- that is what is concerning about this group. It, it, everything has been kind of a, a straight line, beeline path, and uh, you know they hadn't won a tournament game, or they had won one tournament game since 2014. So this is a this is a UConn group that is, even though it's UConn and we all know UConn, and they're going for their fifth title since 1999. Like I said. This is unfamiliar territory a little bit. And what happens when adversity hits on the court? And uh, I think Jim Laranega is the perfect coach to to handle this type of situation, which is another question and another conversation point I wanted to get with you, which is talking and and ranking these coaches in the Final Four. Because I think, you know, a lot of times we go into the Final Four, like last year, you look at the coaches, you got Jay Wright, Bill Self, you got Hubert Davis, and you got, uh, of course, Mr. K., um, and, and those four coaches going into it, right? You you could argue who was the best coach. I think Bill Self showed himself as the best coach in that situation. Obviously, Jay Wright was dealing with an injury, Hubert Davis' first year on the job. Mr. K is basically already in, in AARP mode at that point. He's not really coaching, John Shire is. So I, I wanted to see what you think. Like what, what is your ranking of these coaches in the final four? And then and then we'll go back and forth and see what and see where we end up.
0: Well, I think I know who you're going to have fourth based on the things that you <laughs> said, your track history, your track record. Um, I mean, I'm going to go with Larry Nega first just because of his experience. But I do think it's important to note that that Dutcher has experience as an assistant. Uh, you may have said that I was looking. I was looking at at something. But um, like that's important to, to note. I mean, Dutcher has a ton of experience and he's been in the t- he's been in the tournament when he was coaching with Steve Fisher. But I mean, you know, being the being the main dude is a different thing. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna put Nega first because I think we he's proven, you know, in different c- scenarios he's shown how versatile he can be. But, um, and then I'm gonna have Dutcher second, Uh, mm. and then I'm gonna actually have Hurley third. Yeah, and then uh, Dusty May I think actually if you, we came back like ten years from now, I feel like he could be as high as two on this. I mean he I, he seems like a guy. Florida Atlantic. We'll talk about him here here in a minute, but uh, that. I like his confidence. I like his like I just I feel like he has a really promising future as a coach. But right now, I think the pedigree, I would have to have him last in this group of four, which I don't think mm. is that big of an insult.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think I'm going to blow people's minds when I when I rank my coaches right here. And th- these are my I think Larry is number one. You and I can agree on that. I think number two is Dusty May. I think Dusty May is the second best coach in the final four. I love what he's done so far in this tournament. I think that he has a great um, way about carrying himself on the sideline. I think that he does a good job with this group of never letting them believe that it's over with. You know what I mean? They, they've had even the Memphis game, right? It, it, you know, we had a jump ball that wasn't a jump ball. They're trying to call a timeout. They've had so many little moments and and comebacks throughout the way. Tennessee. If you were watching the first half, you were like, this is a foregone conclusion. Tennessee's going to win this game. Not so fast. Kansas State, they became the darlings of the tournament. We're all talking about Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. They basically take Keontae Johnson out of the game um, and they make Noel beat them as a scorer. I, I mean, I think he's done a great job as a coach. I have Dusty May at number two. I have Dan Hurley at number three. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a little bit of a shock. Didn't have him in last. I think Dan Hurley is number three. I think he's done a good job with this group. I think he's maximized this group. So I give him his credit. He's done a good job with this team. Um, and the number four, I have Dutcher and there's no disrespect to Dutcher. It's just that I worry a little bit where there's a, a sense of happy to be here. Right. When, when Brian Dutcher did the trust fall, um, and and the crowd was <laughs> chanting we believe that we will win you know and and that whole moment yeah. in time I I just I just felt like that was a very happy to be here kind of and if you know feels coach like Dutcher a, yeah feels like ahead. a
0: vibes driven ranking I don't know feels like a, <laughs> it, it, I, I'm just sensing a lot of a, like vibe kind of criteria in your in your thought process you don't you don't value the defensive philosophy of Brian Dutcher you don't think that that's You seems like you're kind of getting enamored by the oohs and the ahs of the offense, Tate. You got to guard the ball, man, on the other side. I am. I'm defense first. In fact, if you don't get a defensive stance, I have no
1: respect for you, which is why me and James Harden had such a a tough relationship for a lot of his time in Houston. You know what I mean? And when, when James Harden got traded from Brooklyn... That was the first thing I looked for as far as a telltale sign. If James Harden is actually going to play, will he get in a defensive stance? And then the first Philly game I watched, he actually sat in a defensive stance and I said, yes, this is great. I love defense. I like San Diego State's defense. I just worry that with all the conversation I saw Jay Billis, you know, the voice of college basketball talking about um, freedom of movement and uh, how we need to you know limit some of the physicality in the game and it's making it's mucking the game up too much it's making it ugly I worry if some of those you know talking points kind of filter down into the game and there's some backlash that comes to San Diego State a little bit where they maybe get get into some foul trouble but as we know with San Diego State they have a nine man team nine man rotation Um, they love doing the hockey subs they have the depth to to kind of deal and weather the storm of foul trouble but that's my only thing I, I worry a little bit about dutcher uh being happy to be here um but that's it. i think that's fair rankings and I, th- I like that we have different rankings you know i think it would be unfair if we put out our, <laughs> our coaching rankings and they're the exact same and we both had dan hurley last so uh, congratulations dan hurley you're not last you get the bronze medal uh for the third best coach in the final four
0: yeah, with coaches, I, I'm always just, it's its so hard to know what goes on behind the scenes with coaches. It's so, I mean, you know, a lot of times people will criticize coaches and they like don't ha- know what they're talking about. Like, and I i always try to like, and I'm i am not saying I know, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. you can kind of just look at results and you can look at the way they play. But I, some people, one of the laziest ones you'll hear is they'll be like, well, I just don't understand the rotations. That's code for I don't like what he's doing, but I don't know what I'm talking about. From people, like you'll, you'll hear that from people who are criticizing coaches. So I just always try to take people to task. I'm not saying I know the answers to the test, but if people say that, I'm like, "What is it that you don't like? Why don't you like?" Just ask them a couple questions, and it usually falls apart. But I just feel like with with these coaches, I'm like, yeah, I, I it's 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 a tough thing to do. It's subjective. I mean, I I could, but I definitely could see. Uh, like we we agree though that Dusty Dusty May we both have a lot of confidence in him I think.
1: <laughs> and I think at this point, I mean, all four coaches have had an amazing year. And I, I wanted to point this out because, again, it goes back to a lot of conversation just because of the seeding, I think, too, and and the unfamiliarity. Right. These are these are names and faces and, and places that we haven't really talked about a lot in college basketball. But all four of these teams finished the regular season ranked inside the top 25 in the AP poll. All four currently ranked uh, top 25 in Kimpom. Um, Which we can talk about that. That, That's his whole other, you know, separate thing. But and then all three um, outside of UConn uh, won their conference championships and then FAU and SDSU won their conference tournaments as well. So this isn't shocking. Right, it isn't shocking that these teams are here. Uh, FAU is one of the four teams in the country to win 30 plus games, so it shouldn't be so surprising. I know that they're all new and they're unfamiliar, but it shouldn't it shouldn't be something where we're like, "Oh, these guys don't deserve to be here. They got lucky." Whatever you, whatever the case may be, and, uh, and somehow I, I feel like that has become a bit of the conversation, um, and I don't really enjoy that. I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. So I just wanted to point that out. All right. So we talked about UConn. We talked about Miami. I think that's probably going to be the, the high profile game right on Saturday. But the, the other game that we got to talk about, um, obviously, is SDSU taking on FAU, uh, the owls of FAU. Um, and they're riding an 11 game winning streak. <laughs> um, and uh, they also play a nine man rotation. So I I think this is going to be a fascinating game, Kyle, man, because. Both these teams are going to have hockey subs. Both these teams are going to be trying to find mismatches. Both these teams are going to be rotating guys in and out of this game. And, you know, the defense of San Diego State is going to stand out, as we know. Um, I think John L. Davis is going to be a difference maker in the second half, as he's shown consistently throughout this tournament. But what what is your big stickler point in this game? or What are you looking forward to watching these two teams?
0: I, I think ball pressure, again, could be the name of the game. It was the thing mm. that altered the game for Alabama. Uh, they didn't hold up against the physicality of that ball pressure. Uh, and Florida Atlantic, we've seen them, you know, they went up against Tennessee, very physical team. Tennessee against t- other teams. You know, Tennessee when they were playing Duke, Duke was another team that was like cha- like creator challenged, we'll put it that way, uh, and, and we're, we're a bigger team. And in that setting, Tennessee can look great, but against these faster teams... Uh, That spread you out. They can they can have trouble. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, is Florida Atlantic going to be able to just, you know, port what they did against Tennessee? And I went back and was just kind of watching some of that. They were able to go and beat, you know, they have so many guys. They have so many. They spread you out. They play a really modern style, um, you know, on the season. Florida Atlantic, like the majority of their buckets, they, they just do not shoot in the mid range. Like only, only 6.3% of their total attempts have been in the, in the mid range, deep middle, like, and then, uh, in the lane, you know, pushing 15%, but they shoot a lot of threes above the break at 33.8. And then they shoot a lot of offense at the rim. That's what they want to do. They want to beat you off the dribble. They want to, and then they want to get you moving South to North. Once they get the ball to the baseline and, and get you rotating and, San Diego State really with their physicality I think your point that about Jay Bill is like manipulating policy a little bit is is funny <laughs> to think about is like uh it, you know uh, but if that is a factor you know if that's a factor that could slow them down like I could see that slowing down Florida Atlantic and and what a funny thing to man when you think about the tournament like if you eke by, you know we watched the end of that Memphis game together. On that, uh, you, me, and Kyle watched that in LA together. You know, maybe they give Memphis that timeout, and we're not even here right now. That's that's right. what's so funny about like it, how how thin the margin of victory or what what it takes to get there. That's how thin it can be.
1: Mm. And uh, speaking of San Diego State, that defense. I uh, this is a stat that I had pulled up that I thought is amazing because I keep talking about UConn. They've won by an average margin of twenty two and a half points, but another 22 and a half point stat for you. Uh, San Diego state has held their four NCAA tournament opponents under their season scoring totals by an, an average of 22 and a half points. So, uh, That's some nice symmetry on both sides. If you've watched San Diego, I mean, watch San Diego State against Creighton, right? They completely took them out of who they are as a team. They made them look, you know, almost stoic at times on offense, maybe. I mean, obviously the Nimhart injury had something to do with that a little bit. But in general, San Diego State takes you out of what you want to do. And I thought there was a fascinating quote early on in the tournament when Purdue lost to FDU Matt Bradley. He, uh, he had a quote after, that he was like, we watched that happen and we were all watching as a team and we all said to ourselves, oh wow, anybody could win this tournament, right? So it kind of, it was the, uh, you know, anything is possible moment in this tournament outside of Princeton yelling that when they won. But I mean, it, it became reality that anyone could win if Purdue could lose to a 16 seed, this thing is wide open. And I think that helped with the confidence of the San Diego state team. And look, there's been a lot of conversations about the 2020 tournament who didn't get to play in it, who would have won it right. Kansas has claimed that they would have won it. Well, they won last year, obviously Um, you know, there, there was the, the Gonzaga thing, you know, what what about what, what would they have done in 2020? We obviously saw what they did in 2021, but San Diego state was another team. Um, in 2020 that was on their way to being a, a top seed that could make a run so this is their kind of redemption moment right for 2020 so there's some some fun storylines there but I just think the belief of San Diego State is something to keep an eye on because um, as a group the players seem to believe in this idea that they are almost a team of destiny a little bit and Matt Bradley uh, he kind of stuck his neck out and said thank you FDU for making that possible <laughs>
0: yeah that's that's an incredible story I hadn't heard that that uh but it is uh it is interesting to just compare these two teams stylistically against each other that I don't know if you're let's say I don't know let's say you're San Diego State and uh, who who do you do you think they have a preference like because both of these teams I mean San Diego State has a little more size obviously they uh, Florida mm-hmm. Atlantic has has one big guy that that plays consistently, who's a pretty good uh, Tobin, who's a pretty good screener and roller and, and and all that stuff. But I don't know. I'm trying to think like if if Florida Atlantic got there, do you think that they would have a preference between these two teams, who the, who they would rather see? I feel like I, I don't know. It's it's it seems like the the size of UConn is so daunting. You know, I feel like that's probably the team they wouldn't want to see. But both of these matchups are pretty daunting to be to be honest
1: yeah, definitely. And I, I think Golden is going to be interesting in this game because he was so good in the elite eight, right? I mean, he was he was a difference maker. Um, against Kansas State, whether it was blocking shots, rim protecting. Uh, getting I called him it Tobin. It's
0: golden. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Well, we were Sorry. talking
1: about FDU, so you're probably thinking of Tobin Anderson. So there you go. But, yes, uh, that's Gold- probably what
0: it was. <laughs>
1: it, it all kind of just mixes together at this point. You know, we're we're deep in the tournament, folks. Let it be. Again, I'm on antibiotics, so I don't even know what I'm talking about at this point. Um, But yeah, Golden is, is fascinating, and he's the one that I think uh, – that will be um, the the one that I keep an eye on. If he can keep that same motor, keep that same impact, I think he's the difference maker uh, for this team. And then, I just kind of like guys like Michael Forrest that comes off the bench that, that has been a nice veteran presence. Obviously, he made the free throws late in the game against Kansas State, kind of sealed the victory for them. He was Dusty May's first recruit for FAU. There was this whole story about how Dusty May, when he got the job at FAU, he had never visited the campus before, and um, he started crying when he got to campus because he saw the facilities and how bad they were. And he was like, this, this is my nightmare. This is going to be the end of my career. Um, I can't believe I did this. Um, and, and to think that now they're in the final four, um, I didn't even know Tom Herman was the head football coach at FAU, but that's pretty cool. You know I mean? It's good for them that they have <laughs> a nice little rapport there with those two guys. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun for FAU to kind of be in this moment. And, um, one, one last larger, um, kind of brand, cause you and I love brands, you know, you and I, we we, love we, the brands. Yeah, yeah, we love the brands. Like one of my segments that I want to do on the show is battle of the brands, and, I, and we just kind of talk about Jordan Brand, Adidas, Nike, and, and all the the many things that are happening in that world. But I do find it fascinating, Kyle, man, that we have on one side of the bracket, Adidas, top adidas miami right the the team that is the nil poster boys uh going up against yukon a classic vintage nike team and then on the other side we have the the vanity brand jordan which is obviously nike going up against adidas and fau so this is like nike versus adidas at the highest level in the final four and i don't feel like we're talking about that enough and do you think there's a world in which we get like an adidas nike
0: showdown in the final because that would be fun would it, what percentage of people would notice and what percentage of people would care <laughs> you know that's not going to affect whether or not i care I, I find it hilarious there's also some uh there was some nike adidas stuff going on last night in the mcdonald's all-american game tate i don't know if you saw that mm, yeah i mean there, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot
1: going on in the uh in the worlds of brands right now uh before let, before we get into the shout outs i want to talk about the mcdonald's stuff is there any final points on, on the final four because look just a caveat to put it out there for everyone. We are reactionist, right? You and I, I love watching a game, seeing what happens, seeing matchups, seeing, you know, foul trouble, all these all these wrinkles that happen, and then discussing, dissecting, breaking down what I just watched. I am not a predictor. I do not like to predict. Anything can happen. Um, injuries happen, all all types of, you know, variables come into play. So I don't like to predict anything, but if I if I had to put um, you know, If I had to stick my neck out there and say, what do I predict? I do predict UConn winning the national championship. I think it's right there for the taking. I think if you are a Husky fan, I know you're probably a little bit nervous that it's, uh, you know, you know, it's almost like nerve wracking because it is so right in front of your face. And and Miami's probably going to be the biggest test on your road to get to Monday and going to win the national championship. But I, I still feel like in my gut and in my heart of hearts. UConn is going to end up winning this one we again we're not we're not predictors but is, is there some sort of gut feeling that you have um, and then we can get into the McDonald's All-American game and, and and do some more like fun shout outs but is there something in your gut that Kyle Mann is like I don't know I just feel like this team or this coach or this this thing might be uh, the difference um, for the Final Four
0: yeah, I I, I don't want to hedge and like go the other way because that's what it kind of sounded like I did earlier when I when I started talking <laughs> about Miami in this. I feel like Miami's going to have to have their best defensive performance, um, maybe not even just of the tournament. They're going to have to have a, a really really incredible above average defensive performance because we saw what UConn can do and how they can pile up points. and I think that you UConn will probably be able to get by enough. I feel like it's probably going to be UConn in a close game. I'll stick with my prediction uh, that I made on the draft show. I, it, it'll probably be UConn in like a like four to six ish game because we've mm-hmm. seen that Miami can even even in fighting they're gonna make it. They're gonna make them sweat. Of course, you know. And then which but you, you what you were talking about is like if if they don't blow them out, if they have trouble scoring the ball, it could be close throughout. You start to maybe w- open the door to, to convince yourself this is I'm doing it again in real time. <laughs> I'm going to screw it. I'm taking Miami. I'm going to do it. Tate. Let's do nice. it. I'm going to do nice. it. I'm talking myself into it. The shot creators. I think they're going to have a hard time guarding the ball. UConn will. I think this team speed. Screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take a chance. I'm not a great predictor either, but I just feel like Miami has some kind of, and the, co- the, the collective college basketball, basketball establishment clutching their pearls. Cause the NIL darlings who are renegades, Mavericks, who are just upsetting everybody that they're, they're coming in here, kicking the saloon door open and, and, Firing their pistols. I just, I think that uh, I'm going to pick Miami. You know, that's what I'm going to do. I talk myself into it. Let's do it.
1: I like that, and I think it it would be a uh, you know, last year when Kansas won, I had a lot of people before the game. You know, I, I was at the national championship game in New Orleans. A lot of people, Carolina fans, regular fans, all, all you know, coming up to me and saying, "There's no way the NCAA is going to let Kansas win. They're under investigation. There's just no way that that's how this works. There's no way that's going to happen. They're going to make sure they fix it so it doesn't happen." I don't think that's a thing. I think that's, uh, you know, all of our, we're, you know, th- that's the fanatic in all of us where you, you kind of buy into the conspiracy theory of the NCAA at large. Now, I don't think the NCAA is, is doing anything, you know, uh, that's not shady, right? I- I'm just saying in general, I don't think they're going to keep Miami from winning because of them leaning into NIL and the fact that they were involved originally in the F- FBI, Adidas stuff. I think that That's all in the past. I don't think that's gonna have any you know impact on what's gonna happen on the basketball court. And, uh, yeah, I think it's I don't want to disrespect or disregard San Diego State or FAU. Um, obviously, you know, I think we all have all the people that are talking about this final four have to, you know be be respectful to the fact that they could win. But I think if you look at the right side of the bracket, That is a much stronger side. It has been a much tougher path for both. I mean, obviously UConn has dominated their path, but for Miami in general, and I think whoever wins Miami UConn um, has a pretty, pretty good chance uh, to be the favorite and to go ahead and win the national championship. So, I feel good about that. And I like that we didn't pick the same team. And uh, obviously we had coach Laranega on the front of the pod. So um, I'm sure he'd be happy to hear that you pick Miami. Probably not so happy that I picked UConn, but again, I'm on antibiotics and medication. So I, I can always point to that as a, as my big excuse. Um, all right, let's get the <laughs> shout outs. Uh, one thing I wanted to shout out, shout out to Kim Pom um, because Kyle, man, I don't know if you noticed this, but Kim Pom is, is really crafty about updating his uh, rankings. And, you know, he does this where it's like, you look at his rankings now and you're like, oh my God, FAU is, you know, top 12 overall. How did I not see this coming? How did I not see this run coming And San Diego States? You know, number eight now, how did I not see this run coming? The man is a genius, and uh, and I, in fact, I think he should lean into it and just update the rankings where the top four teams right now are the final four teams um, because he continues <laughs> you- to update the rankings and get people to be like, wow, this team was this on Kimpom. Why did no one see them making this run? He He's he's a, he's a smooth operator to say the least. Shout out to Sade, but I mean, he he is making this happen, and uh, it's, it's happening behind closed doors. I just wanted to point it out. I see what you're doing, Kimpom. Tip of the cap, but I'm not afraid to call you out because it is a little bit ridiculous because now I got people yelling about how great Kim Palm is with his rankings and how he knew these teams were going to make it.
0: Are you saying you want him to lift the hood and like open the door? Are you saying you want like an FBI raid of the code? You want to see, you want to see the code and the the algorithm
1: and, my my number one rule in math which is what a lot of the basketball baseball sports conversations you know that have turned into all i care about in math in general and and we did this in school you know i took ap calculus right you know i mean we we all did this you have to show your work and that's all i ever asked just show your work at least let me know where it's coming from and then i feel a lot better they should feel a lot better because we're all more informed about what they're actually doing with their formulas and and everyone's happy. And I'm sure there's someone out there right now. It's like, oh, he does release his, his formula idiot. Go check it out. Da, 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 da. I don't care. He doesn't, he's not doing it forward facing enough. And uh, I also don't like that. He's updating the rankings to make himself look smarter, but I also respect it. You know what I mean? That, that's what I got to say.
0: This is spicy, spicy take going after Kim Palm at the end of the season. You should have done this at the beginning so that we could have had an ongoing. I've been going after Kim Palm since two.
1: 2016, Kyle, man. You know what okay. I mean? Because okay. he hate, He went to Virginia then. Tech. He went to Virginia Tech. But when he was at Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech was in the Big East. He doesn't like the ACC. As you can tell by his rankings every single year, he's not a fan of the ACC. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it's besides the point. One-shotted pop,
0: baby. We're fucking back. Watch
1: out Producer Kyle Kyle. (laughs) Yeah love that Uh, Got me fired up Um, But there you go Shout out to Kim Palm Yeah and also let's talk about McDonald's Shout out to the McDonald's All-American game Which happened last night Um, You and I both watched this um, Isaiah Collier was the, was the one that really stood out to me. DJ Wagner had a great second half, ended up being the MVP of the game. The East came back and won, which was pretty shocking. They were down the entire game. Not that it, not that it really matters who wins the McDonald's all American game. Cause it's obviously an all-star exhibition, but it was a pretty good basketball game. In my opinion, I had fun watching it. Um, I learned a lot about these guys games, Bronny James, the, the lights were bright he hit some big shots. Um, you can say what you want about the guy. Had 15 points, hit five threes. I, I thought that was pretty big of him. Um, but what was your big takeaway from the McDonald's All-American game?
0: Well, the shoes, Tate. That's what I was trying to say earlier, mm. the shoes. Uh, you know, Bronny. both Bronny and DJ Wagner, big in Ile deals. You know, Bronny with uh, or, uh, you know, DJ with with Drake's Nocta brand. <laughs> Um, which i don't know how well that's doing but uh yeah they were out there rocking the Nike in the game uh i just I, I thought that was an interesting thing that caught my eye and then i noticed that that several other people noticed this as well but um yeah i i, I agree with you Collier looked amazing getting to the basket um Wagner just with his kind of start stop herky jerky thing he just he just explores the court pretty effortlessly uh despite not being like a super elite athlete and i don't know there there was a lot of talent on the floor I, I, the thing that i was like most Pleased with was just these dudes. I I didn't watch it live. This is the first one I I didn't watch live in a while, and lo and behold, it's like the most competitive on court one. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were playing hard, you know, and I thought that was awesome. And the the boots on the ground report I got from someone that was there was just that uh, these guys were kind of really really intense all week. I don't know if that was driven by like I know Ron Holland is kind of like a, a leader kind of guy, like kind of sets the tone. I know he's really competitive, but. The thing I heard was just that they'd been talking about this all week, that there was a lot of back and forth and you love to see it, you know, rather than just like a run out pickup game. It was, it was nice to see these, you know, the kids are all right, Tate. That's what I'm feeling right now. I feel like the kids are all right. As they say in the NBA, the league is in good hands.
1: Um, I like Ron Holland. I like his motor. He impacted the game. He had like three steals, He had a couple blocks. I mean, he, he was active. Um, I think he's going to be great for Rodney Terry at Texas. Also, shout out to Rodney Terry getting the full-time head coaching gig at Texas, as he should have. Um, happy for him. Happy for Texas. I think that's all good things. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, and uh, this is a me tapping my chest because this is how the internet works, but I put out there last night, Kyle, man, just responding to someone that that. that Bronny James is down to two schools, USC and Colorado. And, um, you know, then all of a sudden I'm getting aggregated. That is the last thing that I want to do. I I do not want to get aggregated. I'm scared of the aggregators. I'm scared of clutch points. I'm scared of all of these, uh, you know, entities that do this. Um, Look, the reason why Bronny's going to USC is obvious. We all know he's going to go to USC. LeBron wants him close. It is you go to USC for one year, you go to the, the South Bay Lakers for one year, all of a sudden he's on the Lakers playing with LeBron. We all know how the plan that, that's what's mapped out for for Bronny James. We we see it. It's the writing on the wall. And the thing that I learned last night in the McDonald's All-American game is that Isaiah Collier is perfect for Bronny James. And they they were dapping each other up. They were, they were, you know, you could tell that they were kind of building that friendship a little bit. Um, the Colorado part of it, the NIL opportunities are abundant there, and that's because of uh, Dion Prime Sanders. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of him, but he is demanding that uh, his football players get million dollar deals. He's also trying to help Tad Boyle uh, get some get some guys on the basketball side. The AD there is down for NIL, so Bronny James is going to be fine, um, as we all know. Um, USC is the the heavy, 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 heavy favorite, um, and I think that a that a, a team with him and Collier could be fun. And I think he's a great three-point specialist. I really do. I think he could be a nice off-the-ball guard for USC. Um, so that was that was one thing I wanted to point out. I apologize for putting that out for the people. I don't want to get aggregated. I think I think we all kind of know if you know that he's going to go to USC. Um, but I, I think uh, watching him play with Isaiah Collier last night, he passed up the final shot, Bronny did, and gave it to Jared McCain, who's going to Duke. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. like that. But also, you know, as we learn with LeBron James, you got to make the right play. And uh, I guess in his mind, that was the right play. And according to the pundits on Twitter, that was what Bronny was doing. He was just making the right play. Um, but yeah, that, that shout out to Bronny. Shout out to the McDonald's All American game. I, I like this group of kids, I think they're a fun group. Your Kentucky guys, they were playing team basketball, defense, um, you know, together. Justin Edwards, DJ Wagner, passing it back, little, you know, two man game with each other. So, there were some fun little wrinkles in the game. I hated seeing no Tar Heels out there, but you know that that's all besides the point. Um, but yeah, that's my last shout out. Shout out to the aggregators. Please don't aggregate what I said about Brony. Leave it alone. Um, but it was fun to watch that game last night. Anything else from you, Calman? Any more shout outs?
0: Uh no. I think you covered all the shout outs. Um, a lot. Of, it's a <laughs> uh, it's a busy time of the year. There's a, there's we've been at it pretty consistently here, and I'm I'm ready to. Ready to watch these games Saturday, man. I think they're going to be good. They're going to be really good. They're going to be really good. So, Saturday uh, is the final four. In in case you
1: missed it, that's why we just talked about it Uh, ad nauseum here for about 40 minutes. So, um, we got good games. We got Miami UConn. Excited to see those matchups. Obviously, SDSU, FAU, that's going to be a fun game. Um, You know, it'll be fun to see the defense of the Aztecs. Are they able to dominate yet again as they have all tournament long? We'll be keeping an eye on all that. Um, This is One Shining Podcast. We're going to be doing a reaction show after the final four. Um so get ready for that. Stay tuned for that. Hopefully, um I will be I'm probably around sixty nine percent right now. Nice. Um, but I am far from a hundred percent. Thank you, Kyle. Very nice. Um <laughs> but I, I am hoping by Saturday I have my voice back. I have my brain back. Um, I have my body working properly again. I don't know what the Spotify security guards gave me um, when I went down. I haven't seen anyone but but producer Kyle, the Spotify security guards and my girlfriend, and uh, she's fine. Kyle's fine. Bill's so lying I, I, on my
0: name out here. You got to, it's got to be them. Bill's out here telling America, I just give yeah. people diseases.
1: I know. Crazy. I, I didn't like that. I did not I like, like it either. Simmons. I didn't like it either. Took a public I shot also, at you, Kyle. Yeah. I know. <laughs> g-
0: g- but, guy doesn't even think twice about it.
1: Yeah, but he's my boss. So I just like, you know, I'm just like, yes, like, like and favorite. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: retweet. <laughs> retweet it.
1: Uh, but yeah, so so hopefully I'll be back to 100%. I'm excited about that. Again, this is going to be a great Final Four. Don't listen to the haters. The haters don't want you to watch it. Also, the women's Final Four is going to be amazing. Um, I'm excited to watch USC. Caitlin Clark in Iowa. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Kim Mulkey with LSU. She's a maniac. Uh, Virginia Tech, that's my team. I really like the Virginia Tech women's team. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, they've been great all year. People were upset they were a one seed. They deserve to be a one seed. So, uh, you know, if you're upset about the men's final four, go watch the women's final four. It's going to be great, too. So, uh, good weekend of basketball, good weekend of hoops. This is One Shotting Podcast. He's Kyle Mann. He is producer Kyle. I'm Tate Frazier, and we will see you Saturday night. Thanks, everybody everybody.